You're listening to the somewhat entertaining live with Sunday and Ben. Welcome back to the somewhat entertaining podcast. Uh, today we have Stuart Goff, uh, future Hall of Famer, man for the big occasions, and uh, a general lad and a regular at the Rifle. Welcome. How you doing, boys? All right. Yeah, good. How's how's isolation treating you, Goffy? Not not too shabby, mate. I can't say it's all excitement, is it? Do you know what I mean? Bit of Netflix, bit of walking, and not much else. Yeah, <laughs> a bit of drinking as well. Sorry, mate. A bit of drinking? Well, I've had a few, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mainly through boredom, mate, but sensible drinking. Sensible drinking, fair enough. Are you still working or you um, has this affected you? Um, yeah, I work from home anyway, mate, for an advertising agency, but it's obviously affected it massively, mate, because the customers don't know whether they're going to be open and a lot of people scared, mate, so it's made it pretty tough, but you just got to keep yeah. going in it and hope it blows over in a month, I don't know, would be good. Who knows, yeah, what's that like, working for an advertising company? Yeah, it's good, it's fast-paced and it's interesting, like, and obviously you work from home, so I guess it's... Um, you got to stay motivated, and unfortunately, if something new drops on Netflix, you might get a bit sidetracked, but it is fast-paced <laughs> in the hole, so, but it's decent. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. When did you pick that up? Recently, or have you nah, been on that for a while? for about oh, three years, four years. Yeah. Were you, were you an accountant beforehand, or just you? <laughs> God, no way. Nah, nah. I worked at a um, television station, mate, hospital, paper, a few random jobs, mate. I've had a few. You've had a few as well. Well, as well well travelled, mate. Just always trying to look for the one that pays the most, but it's never quite materialised. Yeah, what are the chances of you getting me on board then? Because I'm doing marketing and accounting at university at the moment, so I might need a I might need an intern job in the next few years. Yeah, I reckon we could sort some out, mate, if you were serious. But as long as you're not yeah. a lazy twat. <laughs> what about all right, just 100k a year? 100K minimum. Yeah, mate. Honestly, take your hand off it. <laughs> no, it's, don't be silly. I'm a big man. Man for big occasions. You ride unicorns to work, work <laughs> Why not? I, but the thing is, I, I reckon I, I can bring you the work that you need. I'm that sort of person. <laughs> you, oh, I have no doubt, mate. Do you know what I mean? I have no doubt. We'll, we'll give it a yeah. crack, mate. What about you do it and uh, you get paid, obviously, as per what you bring in? Oh, commission. Mate, that's easy. <laughs> commission. Sole commission, mate. No base salary. And then we'll see how you go. <laughs> oh, that's easy. Mate, that's easy. You'll be scratching this. $50 this a week, I reckon. Do you reckon? Nah, don't be silly. But anyways, how, with this, how, how does this relate to football at all? Like, do you, um, do they overlap at all, this and football at the moment? No, nah, I'm not doing anything, mate. I coach a bit at BSC for the girls, um, yeah, seven, eight, nines, and that's it really. But um, it's pretty flexible, so it's pretty good. But I have a bit of spare time, but yeah. Yeah. Is that is that the grade eight to BSC? Sorry, mate. Is that the grade eight at BSC? Um, yeah, so do all the girls from seven, eight, nine and ten, mate. So, yeah, it's pretty good. I don't know if it'll happen this year because of what's going on, but I like it because it just keeps me coaching. And, um, yeah, that's all I've yeah. really got the interest to do, I reckon. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, what about your point? I've, um, I was doing a bit of research lately and I've realised that um, – found information about you being a, a legend at Epsom in your heydays. What was that like? In Epsom? No, I was at Strath yeah. first. So when I first come over from England, I played at Strath for um, three years, I think. And then I went to Epsom for a couple of years and then, yeah, went and played footy. So, yeah, I liked it. I liked playing football. It's the world's best yeah. sport, in it? So I enjoyed it and, I don't know, score a few goals and that kept me happy. Yeah, what was the adjustment like? To play here? No, just playing soccer to football or AFL. Um, it was hard because I'd never really kicked a footy and that, and I didn't know. I thought <laughs> handballing was a bit strange, mate. But um, I wanted to play footy when I first come out here because I liked it and I'd seen it on the TV and that. And then I got the opportunity to go out and train at Mount Pleasant and they were really good people and they took the time to teach me. And then I bought a footy that I used to sleep with in my bed and that bit sad. And, uh, <laughs> I used to handball it all around the house and go and kick it against the wall because I just wanted to be good at it and try and, I don't know, try and get a regular game instead of just being sat in the back pocket when they had no players getting levered. Yeah, I'm with you. That's what, that's what Mount does to you Sunday. Um, yeah, it is, yeah. and that makes you want to play more 
<laughs> it was. It was. They, they were good. They were really good. And yeah, by the end of it, I was playing in the forward line um, regular, so it did work out. But I put a lot of work into it, and they were very patient because I was a bit of a spastic when I started because obviously I couldn't play at all. <laughs> yeah. Did you play ones or twos towards the end? I'm um, only in the twos, mate. So yeah, got a regular gig in the twos was for me. Never could play ones because my skills were not polished enough and yeah i'd obviously i only took it up literally in 2007 so i'd never played in my life right he sounds like you're doing better than ben yeah it's a good game footy footy's a really good game like it's exciting because there's always something going on it's 360 in it you use a lot of different skills and the camaraderie like it's like you're going out to war every game so it was unbelievable I, I really really loved it yeah so is that a game that you wish you would have played a lot earlier yeah 100 um, than... yeah if i'd have been born in australia obviously and um soccer's in my blood because obviously being from the uk but i would definitely would have played footy and i've liked to have tried to play it at a better higher level without a doubt yeah so what made you go back to soccer after your short career um playing footy because i've never won a championship um in bendigo and strath had won a flag in 09 for the first time in their history and i was 30 year old and i was in the best shape of my life and it was just the time i'd put all the effort into footy if i put the same actual effort into soccer which i could actually sort of play then maybe <laughs> actually get a flag and get the reward and and just knuckle down really and because i never really applied myself i don't think as a player as i should so the timing yeah. was just right to go and do it i'm with dad did you start off as a player before you ended up coaching Strathmore? yeah yeah i was just playing mate i played for the first two three years then i coached like the under 16s and stuff and then i coached them in Oh five, I think, and then that ended quite badly, and that's why I went to Epsom. No five, and then what made you what made you come back to Strath? Because it was when I first come over, they did so much for me, and there was good people, and I felt like I owed them because they probably got a quite raw young lad who was a bit of an asshole, and I never yeah. probably really put in so. I was just going home, really, and that was why it was an easy decision. And the club was a lot different, ran, and that obviously got success, and they had a good team, and it was just an easy decision to make. Yeah, and so who were some of those players? Who were some of those people that made a massive influence in your uh, time in Bendigo when you first came across? And um, the Josiah so. family were really good. Obviously, I've got no family over here, so they were extremely good to me. Uh, the two Satori boys um, were really, really good to me. So they were the people that really helped me get work and um, adjust to life in Australia. And, and yeah, they, they were really good. So to go back was, was, was easy because of them people, really. So the conscious yeah, gap now was, was what, what made you come back then? Um, not so much the culture, it was, um, it was the people that I knew and I, I felt like I had unfinished business that they probably got a player who could have been a lot better and they and that player was obviously a bit of a wanker me and I just <laughs> felt I owed him, really, I owed him plenty. So that's the reason, that was the main reasoning, hence the coaching was, that was an also another reason why I decided to coach the seniors and stuff. There was a lot involved and I just felt I owed him a lot. Okay, we'll, we'll move yeah. on to the coaching then, I suppose. Um, so, obviously, you won th three in a row as coach at Strathdale. Um, what, what were the big changes you had to make to create an environment where you can succeed? Good question. Um, there, was, there was a lot. So, it was 2012, I agreed to coach, and a lot of the good players had left. And one Sunday afternoon, Spring Gully amateurs, 4-1, and... We were just going nowhere. It was just nothingness. So I went home that night and I started writing a few notes down of what I thought could work or what would work. And then basically the main stipulations was who was we as a club, like the, the Division 1 into the Division 2 into the Division 3, the youth, the women. Um, how could we bring it together? Uh, the style of football was 3-5-2 at the time and it didn't work because we didn't have the... The personnel so um we switched the formation um there was a social club 
invented so that it could fund the football department but also would be a place that you wanted to go to mount pleasant taught me about culture about tea on a thursday about names being read out so i implemented all those things so every thursday one player and his mate um, from any division would have to cook tea for the whole club and the teams would be read out the training tots were all purchased um, through a pre-season tournament that we did to try and build the camaraderie and the recruitment. The training tops were, were made extra small as well so that the, the fatter players would maybe get a little bit embarrassed and would do the hard work. The pre-season started <laughs> two months earlier in Rosy Park to try and get the fitness levels up. Um, and the pre-season games were all away from home and were all coach trip that every player was expected to go to training records were brought in that had to be a certain standard at 75 percent or you weren't allowed to play um the teams were picked by the coaches and the player was invited in to also pick the teams if they felt it should be them in the team or a friend of theirs so that there was transparency across the board the the um, committee were sort of put to the side. Their job was to run the football club. Our job was to obviously, on the field, get the success and then, and make sure that the players had an environment that they would enjoy and that ultimately we would leave no stone unturned to try and win a championship and create an environment where we could win championships in every grade, not just the one grade and concentrate on it. So it was a lot, a lot. And obviously people told me I was wrong and uh, we had to kick a few people out of the club. And it was difficult times because no one really believed it could work. And it wasn't until halfway through the pre-season that a few of the older players maybe realised that what we were trying to do was correct. And we were lucky enough that obviously in the end it worked. Wow, yeah. that, that answer was so much better than the question. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a lot. There was, there was so much. There was meetings and the, the players had to have regular meetings with each other where we would openly say what they were unhappy about. So if they were unhappy about something to do with the coaching or if a particular player was being lazy, it was an open forum and everything went. There was no secrets. There was no hidden people being picked everyone knew what was going on and what the expectations were and if you didn't follow them then you got asked to leave the club because it was about the greater good rather than the individual yeah i'm with you so you mentioned that you mentioned um your pre-season trips that you did them all the way from home how big of a how big of a deal was that for you um just building up the camaraderie within the squads huge it meant everything you can't I've always believed that you can have the best team without having the best players. And the only way you can achieve that is through fitness, obviously foremost, having some players that have got real ability that can win you the games when it's tough, but mainly your culture and your camaraderie is everything. If you are at war during a game and it's getting difficult, if them players are not all together and don't believe that they can win, they won't. So, the camaraderie had to be done through the bus trips, through um, the training jerseys, through the social club. They had to believe that they were all in for something that was bigger than what it really was. And it was it was important to do the bus trips because they they fundamentally laid down the foundation that made everyone have a bit of a laugh and gave some people to, stuff to talk about at training, I guess, in it. It was, yeah, because I remember for me in particular, I played 2015. I think you got me across and I played in the twos for you. Yeah, you did. The bus trip out, the bus trip out to Melton, I believe. Melton. Yeah, and the um, Pultzel tournament a few weeks later was what actually got me across. Yeah. And it's the fact that, like, the, um, I guess it's just the lifestyle and just the people that you had around you at the club, um, what they kind of wanted to achieve was that you just wanted to be a part of it because you knew that it was always that it was going to be something successful and you were going to get somewhere. 100%. Like the framework and the belief and and the rules. Like obviously in every sporting club, right, you're going to have people who always believe they should play seniors, right? But what they do is they're toxic, aren't they? They, they spread rumours and they kick off to people. But if you've got an open forum, right, where everything's transparent and what the expectations are, then people don't have a platform. So new people yeah. coming in will see what the expectations are and they then get to decide that they want to have to do all that and 
and get that success or do they just want to leave? Do you know what I mean? It's quite yeah. simple. Is that a big part to why I'll get about 50 players um, at preseason compared to some of the other clubs where they get maybe the 10 to 15 because they're three or four senior teams? 100%. Like it, you have to get the numbers. You can't pick teams in Division 1, 2 and everything else unless you have the players. But if the preseason is average with eight players just kicking a ball around a few cones, it's not worth it. Interest goes. It's boring, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like you've got to have something good from the very start. And and from the very start, it's hard work, running up hills, running up that poppet head. So we used to go and – is it Camp Hill School? Is it – what's that school in Rosen yeah. Park? Yeah, yeah, he's exactly right, yeah. Yeah, so we used to play five a side after we'd done an hour's running up hills, right? And if your team got scored against, you had to run up the poppet head and get back before the other game had finished. Shit. And what that taught and was, though – you didn't want to get scored against. Exactly. So these five-a-side games became games after they were tired that then they would start thinking about what their positioning is, how, what do they want to do as a team. They just didn't want to run up the poppet head. But exactly, it it's momentum. Yeah, it was, it was loads of little things like that. It was difficult and it was hard, but it, it had to be done, I reckon, else otherwise you yeah. get weak individuals roaming free. I'm with that. So yeah. obviously, with everything that you implemented, um, how do you keep? How did you keep your team hungry, like year after year? Like, how do you keep them wanting to? Well, basically, because the the culture and what you'd implemented, right? The youth players all believed if they were good enough, they could play one. Same with the Division Two players. So the hunger comes from rules, discipline, and the desire to want to play Division 1. And if you want to play Division 1 and you do A, B, C, then you are an opportunity to definitely play Division 1. So the hunger came because the framework and the structure was already in place. And if you weren't hungry enough, it wasn't the right club for you. It was, it, it was pretty simple. It was self-motivating hunger and just tweaking of the coaching, different drills, different voices, different types to pre-season, new excitement to keep them going. But really, the player's own desire had to be hunger. Else, why are you even playing? Exactly. Wow. Yeah, did you, did you have a few coaches that work with you in keeping that um, mentality and the standards that you set from day one? 100%. I had some good people around me, like Nodge, uh, Mucky, um, Xavier Clayton, Reese Clayton, um, Nathan Satori, Timmy Milroy, um, Nick Watson. All these blokes in the end got on board and they followed the trend and what the rules was and what the discipline was. And they would all be at training early and they would lay down the rules to all new players coming in. So after a season and a half, they kept the same rules because that was the club rules, not my rules, not their rules. It's what was expected. So I had some really good people and without it, I could never ever have achieved nearly what we did. You need good people that are willing just to be said, okay, this has to be done. They might not want to do it, but it's got to be done for the greater good, hasn't it? Or what's the point? Yeah. Exactly. And, and I mean, you have a lot of success, obviously. Um, of the titles you did win, what do you, what was your favourite? I suppose. Um, well, probably I think the first one in thirteen because it was would put so much in as in that year in terms of like obviously hours outside the players and I think if we hadn't have won that one, it may have been very different because it would have hurt so much. And yeah. that that elation to finally feel the weight of the world off your shoulders that you'd actually achieved it. And the women won their first title in history that year and the youth won it and the Division 3 won the title that year. And then the, the League Cup was at Strathdale and we had Division 1, 2, 3 and youth all in the final and they all won. So that year there was 10 trophies and we won eight of them. So I think the catalyst was that 2013 was the most pleasing because it felt like all good plans and a lot of hard work had actually been rewarded when it so easily couldn't have. So yeah, that game in after a year of success like played. that, uh, yeah. what, what was your plan, I suppose, to keep the players hungry? Because, I mean, you almost achieved everything after that year. 
We did, but then obviously um, the Division 2 didn't win the championship that year, so it was something that we spoke about. So four weeks after the championship, me, Mark Brayshaw, John Bryers and Nathan Satori, I think it was, sat around a table and we worked out what we were going to do and how we were um, going to keep the hunger. So we twinkled, um, sorry, tweaked the uh, formation to make it a bit more attacking because it was actually built on a defensive structure of sitting back in the first year. Um, the implement of what we did in pre-season and how we would keep them excited was what we went about it to try and then I sell the dream that one year is not good enough. If you want to be classed as a legend or a hero forever, you have to keep doing it, unfortunately. And that was what we sold them on. And we sat them down and we just went through what the year ahead would look like. And if they were all willing and wanted to do it all again, and we never had one single player say no. Mm. You know, was it, for you as a coach, though, Goffy, as well, was it crucial that you bring in players from outside to join your, the group? 100% you needed you needed just because it's not man united and you can go and buy a player or whatever <laughs> you had to you had to bring in and we lost players after that first year um Xavier Clayton left which was really tough to manage um Mitch Anderson so you had to promote and you had to bring in new players so the youth players then started becoming more regular and we got a couple of new players each time. And we found over the journey, if you brought more than two or three new players to your club, it changes it too much. Yeah. So you just needed a couple just to, for a bit of excitement. And it usually worked, yeah, on the whole. Yeah. Getting James Chick for you, how big, was, how big of a deal was that? Because I've play, I saw him play, and he's that sort of player that every team wants. Like, he's a necessity yeah, he was, honestly, he's a better player than people give him credit for. The guy is big, he's quick across the ground, reads it well, exceptional skills. And he was in our twos in 2012 playing in the midfield. He'd come from Miljora and then a chance conversation at the end of that year, he told us he played centre-back in, was it like Loddon Mally Lightning or something that played yeah. Loddon Victory? Yeah, he was the centre back, but no one had, no one had said anything. And we're <laughs> like, so we've got this kid who's an absolute gun centre back playing in the midfield. So to put him into the centre of our defence for that 2013, the guy is softly spoken, and he's probably one of the greatest men you will ever meet. And he was just huge because he put the hours in. He went to gym to lose weight himself, and he did things over and above. And he was a benchmark for the rest of our players because if he would do it, why wouldn't other people do it? And he, he was mm. such a brilliant character and lucky that we had the conversation, but he was already in a club and having them conversations meant we found out obviously what he could do and just a, a really, really good player, easy to coach. And you can say you're lucky that you got I got to coach him really. Like he's just a great fella. But just even you mentioned him playing in the twos. How does a player with that calibre be content with playing in a reserves team? Like I guess if he played at Colts, he'd leave because it's not the environment. It's not an environment, a right environment. But it feels that at Strathdale, you've you set something which he could be happy with in a way. It is because in 2012 I was coaching and we wasn't going anywhere, and that was obviously my fault as well. And he was playing in the twos, um, and just treading water really like and i'm sure he won't mind me saying he was carrying a few kilos he had the ability <laughs> but he is a very softly spoken character he's not the animal that you see on the field at all and he just liked playing football and then when we started changing things and it was more serious to him he really grasped it and he got on board and he he went over and above to prove how good a player he was and, and for us luckily enough he was our player yeah just and having players like that play against eagle hawk how big of how big is that like because obviously eagle hawk you guys had had that's a big rivalry around bendigo and having players at the caliber of chick um, Nader and that. How big was how big was that for you? It was it was huge. The one thing like Eagle Hawk had some exceptional players in their team, and obviously the one thing that we always used to get done by is being probably bullied. 
like obviously physically, which was hard. So yes, we'd trained them to obviously be fitter and our formation was tighter and we believed the brand of football we were going to play was going to be immaculate and clean and it was going to be really good what we'd impl implemented. But to have Jimmy Chick in there as like a bit of an enforcer, it, it, it helped us more than we could ever, ever say, I reckon. Was that what tipped it over to your favour, to you guys winning the next few premierships? Um, I don't – not. I think it allowed us to compete in the physical areas, obviously, but also we were so extremely fit and so extremely well drilled that round four in 2013, they came to Strath as the – well, they were going for three in a row that year, and we beat them 5-1. Wow, and it was it was their heaviest defeat. Like obviously, so for us, it was important. But we'd done a massive preseason playing all these teams. Our formation was tight, our plan and execution was tight, and we thought we could get them because Eagle Hawk always predominantly starts slow, and then they're always there at the end because they're such a good club and they've got such good players that we thought if we can get them early and get hold of them, that it would change the landscape and it would be a mental blow possibly down the track. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of your rivalry with um, Eagle Hawk, your last year um, in the grand final that you lost to Eagle Hawk, um, we are just curious, your, your, your mindset, or what was your thinking, I suppose, process going into that game? In all honesty, honestly, there, there really wasn't any. That we'd spent three years, right, 36 months and probably 32 of them months together, training, running, and by that game, after that championship was secured, I think we could have played that another 99 times and we'd never have won it. Yeah. We were done. We were absolutely cooked. We were tired. In the end, I know this sounds really wanky, but winning in the end... It wasn't enough anymore for the effort put in in the Bendigo League to keep winning. In the end, it didn't mean enough. And it was Eagle Oak and it would have been nice, but beating them 1-0 at Eagle Oak to secure the three-peat was like justice for everything we'd done. And after that, the motivation was gone. Yeah, at the time of the game, dropping Shawnee Allen for that game, do you reckon that played a part at all for, no, for a young player? Shawnee had been a good servant, very good player for two and a half years. His goals had dried up. He wasn't doing as well as he, he, he should have been. And we'd always drop players based on form, regardless of what name. I mean, Jimmy Chick got booted out once during in there. And realistically, it was no different. And Lenane Burnett and Sammy Farr had bust onto the scene. Both played unbelievably well against Eagle Hawk five, six weeks before. So, Shawnee didn't warrant getting a start. It just, yeah, I, if I had to do it again, it would be the same outcome. Be the same outcome. Because talking about junior football as well, mentioning the likes of Sam Farr and Lenane Burnett, um, just junior football in Bendigo, why is it dropped off compared to when you were coaching? Because I personally remember playing, I always saw you as a coach promoting players from within your youth team to senior team where that doesn't actually happen anymore um, here. Because I think in terms of kids getting promoted, they never get given the opportunity at the bigger clubs, obviously, because it's all a, it's quite cutthroat and you've got to win. But if all the right things are done, throughout the club them young kids should be allowed to play and i also yeah. think there's not the caliber of quality of player is probably higher now than it's ever been but you don't have the players wanting to play or to do the really hard work that it takes to allow you to be a senior player yeah it's not Absolutely. the same it's just not the same bendigo city showed me that i couldn't believe what it was like like the players, they sort of is an expectation that I should just play ones, but they're not willing to do the hard work to to get there. And that's not a blight on all of them, obviously. It's just the way of the times now. Is that yeah. why we're not seeing the other regional cities around Victoria, around Victoria? I think, obviously, in terms of you're on about actually why we don't have all these kids that we should. Yeah, because obviously with the quality, because you, you mentioned that it, they're not, as good as what they they don't have it compared to when you coach like that wanting to be an actual or they don't want to put in the hard yards to be a senior footballer yeah good question what's involved in that. i think it's quite a simple answer 
realistically, I think the league, these young players have had the taste of NPL and the Bendigo City experiment, whether you're for it or against it, changed the landscape in Bendigo. So a lot of the young kids that went to Bendigo City basically used to lose a lot, right? Do you know what I mean? That's no blight on anyone at Bendigo City or anyone that was there, but then they lose interest, don't they? And then you've got a league, as in Basel, which I think has sort of devalued the senior comp. If you Even if you go online to check the results, the seniors are at the bottom. Should be at the top, shouldn't they? Yeah. A lot of junior coaching, a lot of stuff about junior development, but there's nowhere for them to go. Why would they get excited? Do you know what I mean? There's no real pathway. No, it's not like excitement. Oh, I want to play Division One at Eagle Hawk, Strathdale, Colts, Spring Gully, whatever. It's almost like now they see it as a step down that, that it's not good enough. Why would they do it sort of thing? And if you don't have that, how can you get players to go and do it when they see it as something that's not overly fantastic, if that makes sense? Absolutely. Does, yeah. Indeed. But do you reckon, for me, I played in the first actual first year of Bendigo, and then, and then I played under the new the new structure. For you, was did you find did you see that there was a difference between the two at all, or just the layout? The layout for the league now. Yeah, because like, yeah, because let's say for my first year at Bendy, FC Bendigo, like we were winning games, like we had the coaches to help us actually play at the highest level. But and then I guess their their mindset also was not to downgrade Bendigo soccer because they knew that we needed that as well. Like yeah, they regarded I, I agree, but somewhere lost in the translation, it did devalue Bendigo soccer because you've got kids 12, 13 going into the NPL, getting told that they're going to be the next Ronaldo. And realistically, they don't look at the Basel comp as something that's even genuinely decent to go back to, do they? It yeah. was off their radar completely. Yeah, it is. It's almost like, why would they go there? We've been playing NPL against Green Gully and, and whatever else, and we're going to go play seniors in Basel. It's sort of the draw's all a bit wonky. Like, it's not, I don't know. And so it makes it tough. The league needs to just really know where it's going, maybe trim some teams to try and make it stronger and then grow over time, stop playing Sundays, get to Saturday so you can build culture and camaraderie and just look at some things. I, I just think it just needs to be sorted out sooner than later. Yeah. Is, would, is that something that you'd want to be a part of if changes were made, Coffee? I thought about it, but I just... I don't know if the setup for the league, like obviously clubs all get a vote and stuff. Um, no disrespect to anyone running the league, but you've got the two highest positions in the league are, are controlled by someone from Kyton and someone from Castlemaine, and their teams don't even play in the senior competitions. Now, to me, they're good people, and, and obviously, but how can you run a league when your teams don't even play in the senior part of yeah. it? That's ridiculous. Where's the logic there, kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Like whatever else, but how can you make a decision or run a league for the future of Division One, Two, Youth and Women when not one of your own players play in them competitions? It's just ridiculous. Um, yeah. Yeah, clearly. Okay. What do you reckon, Sonny? Do you talk about the uh, team of the, the squad of the decade? Squad of the decade. Um, okay. I, I suppose so. We, we've had a look at your squad of the decade, obviously. Um, it's uh, I think it's got fourteen in them, all of which played for for Stratton Eagle Hawk. Yeah. Was it just that those two teams were clearly better than um, every other one, or what made it so uh, strong in those two teams? Basically, you've got ten championships. They've got five each, and I tried to think of other players outside of that that had had consistent two, three years, even at a, a club that didn't win anything. And it was hard, but then I started looking at the calibre of a player you've got in there who have got like three, four, five flags, league medals, everything. So it was hard to justify putting a player in from another club, I guess, really. Like there were some great players. Josh Norton from Spring Gully was a great player. Brett Quinn from Epsom. And there was other players, obviously, around the league that were very good. But when you look at the calibre of them players that are in that team and what they've won and what they've achieved, I think it's hard to put anybody in above them. Yeah, so just looking at that list, you had, obviously, you had Scotty Christmas, in obviously, in goals. Yep. You had Nader. And a big name that stood out for me was Stevie Barrett. 
Uh, um, having him as a having a play like him, what was that like? He's just like he just does the simple things so well and consistency for ninety minutes. He just attacks the ball and just keeps it ticking over. So if you think like a Kante at Chelsea, like Barrett is like that, gets his toe in, continually breaks the play up, and the guy I only had him for a year. His demeanour and the way he plays is unbelievable. He's won two flags, three league medals. How does he not get in that team? Indeed, and like Sean Boxer as well. That's a big name that played for both Eagle Hawk and Strath. Yeah. Um, what was it like coaching against? Did you ever coach against him at all? Um, no, I don't think I ever coached against Boca. No, like, but it was easy. It, it wasn't easy to coach because he, he's very much he knows what he wants and what he wants to do. And what you had to do is you had to get inside his mind and just mess around with him a bit to get him to do what you wanted to do. But a fantastic goal scorer, brilliant footballer. Who would you compare him to? Is he more of a rude Benistroy, like as in just in the box, very clinical or just more? No, he, he's honestly, he's more like a Patrick Vieira, but up front. You're kidding? No, he's very leggy and rangy and the ball sort of sticks to his foot and it's, it's hard to explain. At times you wonder, does he know what he's actually doing? But <laughs> God, he could score goals. Yeah, and just even look at um, Keegan Smythe. He's another big name from Eagle Hawk. He's probably one of the, I'd say... He's on par with Steve, Stevie Barrett, when it comes to the best player in the league over the last 10 years or so. Yeah, Keegan's quality. And he, no matter what you think of him on the field, off the field, whatever, like Keegan is a high-quality footballer. He's got a brain that moves quicker than anybody else. He can play balls that no other players see. He's hard at it. Um, and realistically, a, a quality, quality footballer. Would you say he's the best of the list? He's possibly up there, yeah. For all-round ability, I would think that Keegan would have to be high on that list of overall player. He's, he's a bloody quality footballer. Yeah. He's a quality. What about Nick Watson? Um, obviously, he was your captain when you played or when you coached at Straff. Um, yeah, so Watto was my captain under-16s when we won a flag at Straff, and I... Nick Watson doesn't get the accolades because his skill is not something you see and say, oh, he's going to rip a game apart. But this guy lives and breathes football, would run for 90 minutes, would do all the shit jobs, and he would literally bob up at a time when you need him and score a goal. Because he's, yeah, he's another player. He doesn't get rated as highly as he should. Do you reckon that goes back to the plays that he's with at Strathdale? That are around him? I think it's because he's not a big personality. He's, he's, he's very low-key in he and quite quiet. So he doesn't really get noticed or he won't gob off on the field or he don't get red cards, does he? He just goes about his job as he should and he does it unbelievably well. And he, he's a very bloody – he's a very good footballer. Yeah. What about Greg Thomas? Um, big – he obviously had a big rivalry or coaching against him. I guess he took over winning the league after you left. Yeah, again, uh, though, like, he's probably one of the best strikers to grace the league, if not ever, any. I mean, the quality that he's got and the goals and set pieces that he scores, he's, a, he's an unbelievable footballer, isn't he? Yeah, because obviously he's got a bit of a big head, though, doesn't he? He does have a bit of a big head, but I guess you can have a big head <laughs> if you know that you're going to score an hat-trick every second game, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He backed it up, didn't he? Like, he would antagonise on the field, but the thing is, he always backed it up. What did he... I don't know, he scored... What did he play? Three seasons in Bendigo, and he scored, what, 85, 90 goals. That speaks for itself. And what, he's closer to his 40s than what? Than what? I guess it's what we are. No, no, he's he's mid-40s, isn't he? You're kidding. I don't know, is he? I don't even know, actually. No, I reckon... I reckon if Greg Thomas was at his peak, he would have scored about a thousand goals in three seasons. In Bendigo, he yeah, he's, he he played in like Malaysia, I think. Like he's he's a really like high high quality like player, and to have him in Bendigo, even if it is on the back end of his career, like yeah. he's he's like I'm talking high quality. Yeah, he's, your goal, he's, your, he's in the likes, he's in the same conversation as your Keegan's and your Stevie Barrett's. 
It's just they get the job done. With yeah, he does, and, and Tomo's probably possibly at the top of the list, like just because of where he's played and what he's done. I know Keegan went over to Ireland and played and stuff, but Greg Thomas played in like the Premier League in Queensland. He played in is it Singapore or Malaysia? <laughs> he played at Bendigo City. He scored goals his entire life all over the world. Yeah, so a bit like right. when Del Piero went back to the A League. Maybe not him at his best, but still a lot better than the league. Yeah, it probably is a good comparison, I think, and that's not a disrespect to other players. Like, I didn't see him in his heyday, and I don't think anybody has, but I'm guessing by what he did in Bendigo so easily, like, I mean, he must have been some player. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah you've got to think he's got to possibly be at the top of that list. How come with all those players, with that team there, would you ever consider taking a team, a representative team to Melbourne, Goffey? To play if um, 100%. 100%. It, I'd do that if they said, Okay, we're gonna have a Bendigo team and we have to start off in like State League Five. If you could get all the players together to do it, I think you could win State League Five in your first year, yeah. Because looking yeah. at that squad itself, like as long as I guess it's they'd all obviously all want to play for their clubs on the side, They've, but if they were allowed to play in Melbourne and for their local teams, I reckon that team could actually make it up pretty quickly because it's all quality i think they would and even if obviously the players some of them are older now and can but even if you put a bendigo team in state league five now right the first thing it would give you the opportunity to do would be to win and that's where the problem lies with when bendigo city if bendigo team goes away and continuously wins then it's something to want to play for in it and the clubs have to respect it it gives kids yeah. aspirations how come you were never senior coach at um, Bendigo City, Goffey? Because obviously you're coming off three premierships in a row. Like, you would have been right at the top of the um, the candidates. I know, but I think they, like, had some really solid European coaches that were high quality. And, like, obviously Fab Sopchin and, and play, people like that were brought in to try and, I don't know, increase the profile of the club. And that had just been a local pleb, wouldn't it, really? Not probably up to the standard of what they wanted or anything. But at the end of the day, though, isn't it going to go back to local football to where you've got to get someone who knows um, local soccer? I guess it's Pep Guardiola, um, just yeah, as an it's example. It's probably true and stuff, and and that's probably the thing. But I, I kind of figure if they thought they had high-profile names that they also believed at times that players would come in from other areas or um, parts of Australia or the world to come and play at Bendigo City, in it? And if... Stuart Goff's coaching at Bendigo City, uh, not going to get any of them players, but you would have a local team, I guess. I don't know. But it's to me, I reckon you'd have a local team that could actually compete. They may not win the league in the first few years, but you'd, as obviously as what you've done at Strathall, you'd set a foundation to where they could actually succeed because all you'd actually need is two or three players um, from Melbourne to come and join the team in your set. 100%. I think the biggest mistake they made was going straight to NPL. Yeah. That's, that is like just going, okay, bang, we're going to go play in the Premier League. Oh, ouch, we've got Man United first week. Like, yeah. You just can't do it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and do you think that having that mindset of get people from the outside to, to manage this team so that we can get players from the outside that might be higher quality, it seems to me that that mindset contributed to or has contributed to the decline, I suppose, in in quality of football for the kids coming through because they're kind of bringing in from the outside instead of trusting in, in, in the youth. 100%, because basically doing that very thing, and while it seems like a good idea, you're basically never going to be able to build an actual club here. It's all yeah. people coming in to get paid to do whatever, and nobody gives a shit about the region or the club. They're there either for the money, and when the results don't go the way, it becomes really difficult. And some really good people went through Bendigo City to try and get it right and to do different things to it, but it never materialised because realistically they should have started State League 5 with a really core cool local team, probably coached by a local coach that probably would have won State League 5 and would probably be now kicking around state league two possibly three and it would have all been a lot better exactly it was almost like looking for short-term gain but it really uh, hurt the hurt the club long term um, i think so i think that's where the problem started you, you can't be that big that quick and try and compete in that thing without a bundle of money 
or even if you've got the money, where's the fabric? What does it mean? And I think playing out at that Epsom facility was also something that that place has just got no soul, has it? Yeah. I don't know. It's a horrible you, place to like. It's nice under lights on that main pitch, but it just lacks the soul. How can you say you've got a club out there when you're playing against teams in Melbourne that have got bulk history, like Green Gully or whoever that have got history on their side, and Bendigo are trying to build something in one year? Mm. Yeah. No. Nah, so would, it was. Yeah. I don't know. A lot of mistakes, maybe, and I don't know. Hopefully, if it ever changes, and they're still ticking along now, like, but maybe one day. Because in Bendigo, I think you have that many divisions, not between clubs, but people want to do like coaching clinics with certain people or they want to play Bendigo City or they might want to go to their club or they might not want to do that. There's no universal approach to what football in Bendigo is, should look like, possibly. Yeah. We're not really united as um, a football community. I'm really... No, nah, not at like, all. We're not. So how do we um how would how how could we change that because it feels like I guess it's for the for the greater good as you mentioned I I like that playing now for some reason um how do we get the community together to actually set a program which should which could help um develop better players you'd need all the personalities and the identities of the league so coaches the people of Basel and the likes of um Louise McCall Fab. Um, people who were involved with Bendigo City, all of those people, right, have to sit round like a proper large table with no agenda, just a good, honest conversation, how it could actually work and not go, your idea is shit or that's ridiculous or whatever else, and all come together and go, okay, this is the plan, this is what we're going to do, we've all agreed, and we just get it done, no matter how hard it's going to be, just get it done. Yeah, but how do you get all them people round a table when half of them don't want to speak to the other party or half believe what they're <laughs> like? It's impossible, mate. Exactly. Yeah. And I guess, it's, I guess so, it's the league playing a big part in just junior rather than senior football um, doesn't help at all. It is, and the people not just within the league as well, like the, the the wider football community that have done various different things, all coming to that table with an open mind in it. Like obviously, people like Ben Pengelly, Eagle Hawk, he gets stuff done, but he might rub a few people up the wrong way. Here. But his intentions are good, but they might not might not like it, or the next person might not like what they're saying, and it just goes around in circles. Then you have splinters, and you end up at the spot you're in right now, basically. Yeah, I'm with you. Just before we go as well, we've got a few questions here. Um, just one that I kind of, I look back at on it a lot. As as a junior player, Gothy, let's say you go back to a junior player, in your opinion, what made a good coach? And then comparing that now, um, obviously winning championships. Um, has your mindset changed on what made a good coach? Nah, I, I don't. I think my junior days when I played and that, and I never really had a coach that I could connect to or I believed treated everybody fairly or promoted something that you were all in it together. Um, and I think a good coach is just somebody that's good with the players and understands that one player emotionally is not the same as another player, but they obviously are aware of what their players are and how you get the best out of them. And I think any player just wants to love their coach, don't they? Really, I yeah. mean, in, in the nuts and bolts of it, no matter what sport you play, you want to love your coach. And you can only love your coach if they give you the tools and help you as an individual and a club to get better, I think. And this is true story. I was a tosser of a player. And I always promised that I would never want to coach a Stuart Goff during them Strathdale years. <laughs> and that's true. That is honestly true. And if any player I thought had the traits like I was as a player, quite selfish, arrogant, lazy, then they were not to be part of any fabric of the club. So, yeah, yeah a good coach, I think, is one that's personable, liked, and understands that players have other things outside of football and that they just seem to have the best intentions of the player and the club, I reckon. Yeah, I'm with you. But obviously, um, can you, would you say that some of the some of the coaches locally are, are similar to you in that matter? 
Um, I don't think in the same holistic approach as where I'm more about everything. There is very good technical coaches that are, would far outstrip me. There's some that are good at man management as well. And I, I still think we do have really good coaches in the region, like I do. Yeah. Better yeah. than me, way better than me. Do you know what I mean? Like, I do, 100%. But I guess it's your a different sort of coach to some of the other ones. Though. Like the um, Obviously, the ones that are, have got all their life, like the Pollards are very technical and tactical to where you're more of the, you want to build a relationship and a personality with players, which actually helps gives you an advantage in a way. Yeah. But you, you can win a player over though, that's the thing. I think that's what makes you special. I knew that going out to Strath that year that you coached, I've been honest, I wasn't I wasn't expecting much, but I guess it's you built a relationship with me personally to where I wanted like I wanted to buy into what you were trying to sell. Yeah, but you were the player like a type of player we wanted, obviously, like the personality, the caliber of who they are, like obviously your knees have give you problems, but you was a good footballer. You had a good personality. There was no real baggage or do you know what I mean? You coming to our club or anything, and when you got there, you you bought in. So it was quite an easy win in the end, wasn't it? Because you wanted to do it. And luckily, yeah. we built something that players like yourself or whoever it was believed they were coming to something good. And maybe coaching isn't just about the individual. Maybe it's about building an environment that is actually somewhere good to go because maybe the individual will actually do better things on their own because they're comfortable, they like it, and they actually just become better naturally. Wow. Culture breeding success. On that note, we do have to wrap things up. It's been a pleasure talking uh, with you, Stuart. Um, Thanks, fellas. so much. Learn so much yeah. about the game um, in this conversation. Um, I'm sure Sunday is the same. Um, yeah, I am. We need our listeners to get onto our socials. So, if, um, somewhat entertaining live on on Facebook. Um, once again, thank you, Stuart, um, for this. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, fellas. Yeah. Stuart, I'd love to um, actually have you on board again. Maybe have you on Pollard, and even get Zebra on because it'd be nice. I guess getting. Um, yeah, we could just talk yeah. shit, I guess. Like, yeah, um, yeah, like it's been good, fellas. I've been listening to it, and like, I appreciate it. And I just want to say one last thing: if I've offended anybody out there by saying anything, I didn't mean it. All right. <laughs> and on that note, I think we do have to wrap it up. Uh, thanks, everyone, and uh, we'll see you again soon. Take it easy. See you, lads.